thank you for being the ransom payment for us. For that sacrifice. And Lord, my prayer is that that all in this room know the truth of that and have put their faith and trust in you as Lord. Lord, I pray that you would use us in the lives of those we know who, who haven't yet. Lord, I pray that you would use us as lights, as, as instruments, as a witness. I pray, Lord, that this Easter season would see many people receiving eternal life for the first time. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at this series, This I Believe, and we've been studying through the Apostles' Creed, which is an ancient creed that, that really um, was designed to, to, to lay out the foundations of Christianity. And over the past few weeks, we've looked at um, the Father is mighty, that Jesus is real, that Jesus died and lives. And today, we're looking at this idea that Jesus is working. I want to read the three lines of the creed that, uh, that we're going to be looking at today. And it says this, that he ascended into heaven and he's seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he shall judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. See, there's, there's one question that separates all world religions. There's one question that separates all world religions, and it's this question. Where is Jesus now? Where is Jesus now? When you think about that, that question, all the world religions have a little different twist to answer that question. And I'm going to kind of give you some some bullet points from some of the major world religions on how they might answer that. And I don't want to come across sounding, you know, trite or crass or something like that, but I just want to, want to give you an idea of the, the enormity of this question and the fact that all world religions answer this question differently. The Baha'i faith, which is a, a fairly new um, idea for me, I've had to study a lot about the Baha'i faith. Uh, it's one of the fastest growing religions in the United States right now. It's, it's an, it has its roots in, in some Eastern religions. But the Baha'i faith would say that the body of Jesus is in the ground, but his soul is, is in the Lord because he was a holy man, but he certainly wasn't God. That's how a Baha'i would answer the question, where is Jesus now? They'd say, well, he was, he's in the ground. He was, he was a man. The Mormons, the, the LDS church would say, he was a man, 
But now he's, he's got his own planet and, and a wife who is eternally pregnant and they're, they're populating their own planet. That's, that's the Mormon view of, of heaven. And Jesus, that's probably where Jesus is at. Jehovah's Witnesses would say it this way. They would say Jesus wasn't God, but rather he was an archangel. And he didn't rise from the dead physically, but he rose spiritually. And then he actually returned to rule the earth in 1914. And he's been ruling on the earth through the Watchtower Society in the United States ever since. That's how the Jehovah's Witnesses would answer the question, where is Jesus? Muslims would answer in a variety of different ways, but... One of the ways that a Muslim would answer this question was that Jesus didn't die on the cross, but maybe he was taken up into heaven like the other prophets, like some of the other prophets, like Enoch or Elijah in the Old Testament. Since he was a great prophet, God just probably spared him from tasting death. An Orthodox, an Orthodox Jew would say, well, no, Jesus is in the ground. That's where he's at. He died, he never rose, and his bones are somewhere in the Middle East. That's what Jews would say. This question has plagued so many over the years, and it's one that every one of us has to come to our own conclusion of. And really, at the end of the day, there are only two answers. Either Jesus is alive or his bones are in the Middle East someplace. What do you believe? See, the Bible teaches us that Jesus died on the cross, that he rose from the grave, and today, as we learn from the creed, and we're going to talk about and kind of unpack a little bit, he ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of God the Father. Thomas Jefferson, one of uh, our U.S. presidents, um, made something called the philosophy of Jesus. I don't know if you've heard about this, but basically, um, Jefferson took the Bible and he took literally a razor blade and he cut out of the Bible all of the passages in the New Testament where Jesus performed a miracle, where Jesus claimed to be God, where, where anything that had to do with his death, his resurrection, and he called this the philosophy of Jesus. And what he was left with was only about 10% of the Gospels, which were the teachings of Jesus that he could ascribe to. But Jefferson didn't believe that he was God. He didn't believe that he rose from the dead. And he certainly doesn't believe, didn't believe that he was seated on a throne in heaven. The same thing happened in 1985. Some of you will remember this. The, it was called the Jesus Seminar. Do you remember the Jesus Seminar? There was a, a group of about... 30 men um, who gathered together, they were supposed scholars, and there were 200 other fellows, they called them, that, that gathered together to look at the New Testament and come to conclusions as a group of really smart guys as to what parts of the Bible they could believe and what, what others they couldn't. And in, the, in a similar fashion as Jefferson did, they picked apart the New Testament. What they were left with was only about 18% of the New Testament. They cut out everything that had to do with Jesus being God and Jesus doing miracles and doing anything other than just teaching. Why? It all hinges on this question, where is Jesus now? And to believe that Jesus is seated on his throne, ruling and reigning today, means some things. It means that you believe that he died and that he rose again and that he is indeed God. So, at the end of the day, it boils down to these two questions or these two answers. Either Jesus 
physically rose from the dead or that his bones are somewhere in the Middle East. To begin our conversation today, I'd like to have you turn to the, the, the book of John in the Bible. It's, one of the, it's the fourth book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Chapter 16. What does Jesus say about where he's at today and what he's doing? It's one thing for men to get together, even smart men to get together and talk about it, but what did Jesus say he was going to... Where, where was he going to be? What, what is he going to be doing? John 16, verse 28. And by the way, this is one passage. There are six others in the Gospel of John that basically say this exact thing. John 16, 28, it says this, I came from the Father and entered the world. Okay? I came from the Father and I entered the world, and now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. So Jesus very clearly says here and in a number of places exactly where he came from and where he's going. To help us kind of understand this, I'm going to draw something, and I apologize in advance because I'm going to write some things. You won't be able to read them. That's okay. I'll tell you what I'm writing, and you can make some notes for yourself. But I'm going to write a little timeline here, and first of all, I'm going to put some, some arrows on the end of the timeline because Jesus has no beginning, and he has no end. Jesus is eternal. But I want to, on this timeline, I want to make a few observations from history. One, the very first tick on our timeline, is creation. The very first tick on the timeline is creation. Now, in the book of John, chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And it also says, that through him all things were made and nothing that has been made was made apart from him. I just totally butchered that, but you get, you get the idea. The, the Bible says that Jesus, in the beginning, was with God, and guess what? He was creator. Jesus was with God in the beginning. There's another tick on the timeline, and that is the first coming Right, first coming, the first coming of Jesus. Uh, the, the kids answered the, correct, the, the, the question that David asked them earlier correctly. When did Jesus come first? Well, he came as a baby. We celebrate that on Christmas, at Christmas time. Jesus came to earth. But why did Jesus come to earth? Jesus came to earth because shortly after creation, sin entered the world. Shortly after creation, man fell and there was, a, there was a, now this, this, this new thing in the world called sin and sin had to be accounted for. It had to be atoned for. And Jesus came the very first time to pay for sin. It's another tick happened on our timeline very close to his first coming in terms of eternity. About 30-some 30 30 some years later, Jesus died. We have the death the resurrection. I'm just going to abbreviate here. We have the death, resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus. You know, what's so interesting about this is that 
As we talked about last week, this is a, a, a historical fact that Jesus was on the earth, that he died, that he rose again, and that he ascended into heaven. But Jesus himself, even on the, in the final hours of, of, of his time here on earth, said, guess what, guys? I'm coming again. And there's another tick on our timeline here, which is the second coming of Jesus and short, shortly after that, it might be at the same time, is judgment. Now, the question on a lot of people's minds is, where was Jesus? Okay, we, we get this, that, that he came here, and during this time when he was on earth, we get that, we, we understand that, we read about that, but in, in the rest of history, where's Jesus at? Well, from all of time, including creation, all the way to the first coming, Jesus is seated on his throne. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Jesus is seated on his throne until that day when, they, when, when the angel appears to Mary and the, the, the announcement was, you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Jesus comes to earth. Jesus dies and he's resurrected. And in a few minutes, we're going to read about his ascension. Where does Jesus go from the earth? He goes back to his throne. The place where he, he was seated from all of eternity past until his first coming. He goes back to that place, to the throne. And then one day, Jesus will come again. And when he comes again, it's at the end. His second coming marks the end of time, the judgment of of humanity, the judgment of the earth, and the institution of his new kingdom, which is an eternal kingdom that goes on forever, where Jesus is again seated on his throne. Does this make sense? So in answer to the question, where is Jesus now, what would you say? He's on his throne. Jesus today is on his throne. Now I just want to pause there just for a moment. And just let that resonate with you. I mean, this is Easter week. And this week we're, we're thinking through, you know, the events that surrounded this, uh, this time in history when Jesus died and when he rose from the dead and when he ascended back into heaven. And now, friends, we live in an age and where is Jesus? Is he in a grave? No. He's ascended and he's Lord and he is seated on his throne in heaven. And one of the questions comes up, what is Jesus doing? Like right now, why, you know, if we, if we were to say, okay, where are we at? We know we're in this time. We're somewhere between the death and the resurrection, the ascension of Christ and his second coming. You know, where are we at? You know, we don't know. We don't know when the second coming will be. The scripture is very clear that nobody knows the day or the hour. I think we're closer than we were yesterday. I think that we need to live in a way where we say we're closer than we were yesterday. The end is coming. 
But what's Jesus waiting for? Why isn't he come again? Well, the answer to that question is in Second Peter 3, 9, it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. It's not, it's not that he's just being, you know, like dragging his feet on this. But here's, here's what the scripture says. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Isn't that good news? Especially for, for our friends and our family who are far from God. Jesus is holding off during this time. He is seated on his throne. He's, he's waiting patiently, giving opportunity for those who are far from God to return to him before his second coming. Because when his second coming arrives, it will be a terrible day indeed for those who are far from God. So I have a few um, keys that we can take away from the Apostles' Creed. And, and I think they're, they're, they're pieces, they're nuggets that, that we need reminded of and we need to grasp a hold of again today. The first one is this, that Jesus ascended into heaven. That Jesus ascended into heaven. I'd like for you to turn to the book of Acts, chapter 1. The book of Acts, chapter 1. Uh, on page 1077 in the Bibles underneath the chairs in front of you. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 6, says, So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power... When the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going with suddenly two men dressed in white, presumably angels, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. So what we have here is the account of that actual historical day, that moment in human history when Jesus went from earth back to his throne in heaven. What's so interesting to me is that even the angels on that day said, guys, he's going away from you. But guess what? He's going to come back again. He's going to come back again. The other piece in here that Jesus declares is he says, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You see, during this time when Jesus is on the earth, his disciples were interacting with him. Jesus was right there with him. When Jesus goes to his throne, the question that they're having to ask is, has he left us? And I think that's a question that some struggle with here today. It's like, okay, I believe in Jesus, but Jesus is like far off. Like he's on his throne in heaven and I can't understand all that. And that's like way far away. I wish Jesus was here. Guess what? He is. Even at his ascension, he promised us as believers 
that we would have the Holy Spirit. And this was going to enable us to do the mission that he was calling us to do, which was to tell the world about him and his sacrifice for our sins. Jesus ascended into heaven. Secondly, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father. Like to have you turn to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews uh, describes to us using uh, the analogy or the, the, a picture of the priests in the temple. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 and 12. This is on page 1190 in the handout Bibles. It says this, Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, that is Jesus, when Jesus had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. If you're the type of person that likes to highlight things or underline things in your Bible, there's a couple things that I'd, I'd encourage you to underline. One is that the priest stands. The priest stands. Now, wh- why is that significant? Because he's doing his work. There's work to be done. The priest is standing. People are bringing their sacrifices. He's, he's doing his role that, that God had commanded him to do because there is work to be done. But then in opposition to this, we see that this high priest, that is Jesus, what does it say that he did? He sat down. Why did, why did Jesus sat down? Because his work was done. Because he came and he did the work. He, he died on the cross to make the payment for our sin and he rose from the grave conquering sin and death so that he could sit down at the right hand of God. The work was done. And guess where Jesus is today, friends? Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Thirdly, Jesus will come again as righteous judge. Jesus will come again as a righteous judge. Just a few uh, pages earlier, maybe just a page earlier in your scripture, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it says, Just as a man is destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. See, there's a truth. People live and people die. People live and people die. And the scripture says, just as, as it's destined for every man to die once, every man's going to face judgment. Now, in our day and age, judgment is not a very political, politically correct thing to talk about, is it? And I want to I implore you that, that if you are a believer in Jesus, that you face a different kind of judgment than someone who is not a believer in Jesus. And, you know, I could tell you, you know, beat around the bush and try and do some theological backflips to try and minimize the judgment that is recorded in the Scripture, but it's clear throughout the Scripture that the Lord is a God of justice. And the Bible says that, that every, every one of us has sinned because God is a holy God, He can't be in the presence of sin. And so there's a debt then that has to be paid. 
That's why Jesus had to come in the first place, because when sin entered the world, there had to be a payment for that sin. You and I can't earn our way into God's favor again. We can't repay by doing a lot of good deeds, all of the bad things that we've done. Since our life is marred by sin, the judgment is that we can't be in the presence of God. That's why Jesus came. See, there's, there's two types of judgment, two kinds of judgment. For the non-Christian, they will be judged on whether or not their sin has been forgiven. And for a person who is far from Christ, for them to come before the throne of God, they cannot make payment for their own sin. The punishment is separation from God. The punishment is hell, and hell of the worst kind, eternal separation from God. But the Christian is not judged in the same way. We're not judged as to whether or not we can pay the penalty of our sin. Why? Because we believe that Jesus paid for the penalty of our sin. Amen? Because we believe that we owed a debt to God that we couldn't pay by ourselves and our trust, our hope, our faith is placed on the only one who could pay for the penalty of our sin and that is the Son of God, Jesus Christ. But Christians will face judgment as well. Several times in the New Testament, we read that Christians will be judged according to the quality of their lives. One such place is is in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And it, it says that basically every, every person's good deeds, the things that we do, are going to be judged by fire, it says. And if we built our lives using wood, hay, and straw, those things are going to burn up and we're going to escape the flames. You know, we're, we'll go to heaven, but just only, just barely. You know, like, we're just skimming by. But those who, who build u- using things that last using stone and gold and all of the wonderful things it talks about in 1 Corinthians 3. It says that we'll be tested and if what we have built with our lives stands firm, then there's going to be a reward. And I don't know about you, but I think we would do well to think more often about the truth that one day we will stand before our holy God, our Creator. And I don't know about you, but I have this sense that I want him to be pleased with what I've done with my life. Don't you? Not that I'm perfect. Not that, not that there's any way or reason that I deserve to enter into his heaven. But I want him to have a, a, a sense where he says, well done, good and faithful servant. I have no idea what the rewards are going to be I don't know what that looks like, but I know God is a good God and He loves to bless His kids. And I know that whatever our rewards are in heaven, it's going to be incredible. So what's the point? Well, I think we need to live today as if we were going to answer before God today. Not because our eternity hangs in the balance. Not not like God's going to say, you sinned today, so you're going to go to hell. But because... I want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. I, I heard this this week, and I thought it was really good. You know, for, for a person who, who's not a Christian, they aren't a believer in Jesus, this earth is as close to heaven as they're ever going to get. 
But for a believer in Jesus, this earth is as close to hell as you're ever going to get. Isn't that a good reminder? You know, we, we endure suffering, we endure pain, there's sickness, there's trial, there's death in this world, but this is as close to hell as we're ever going to get. Praise the Lord. Now, I've been reading a book. Um, it's entitled, Why Men Don't Like Church. It's an interesting, it's an interesting book. Uh, and the, the idea is that, that in America... Uh, of people that go to church, 60% of them are women and only 40% of them are men. And the, 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 the question is, why don't men like going to church? And one of the answers that this author gives is that, that men view Jesus, or the, the, more, maybe more specifically, the way that the church preaches Jesus is that, that he's kind of this pansy. This kind of hippie guy that wears sandals and he wears a dress and he has long hair and he talks about loving everybody. And the, the, the general sense among a lot of men is that's not a kind of guy that I can follow. I mean, that's fair, right? I mean, if that's all that Jesus is, is some sandal-wearing hippie, I mean, that doesn't exactly inspire you to follow him unto your death, Right? I think there's a general sense among men that they could beat up Jesus. You know? <laughs> like, uh, turn with me to Romans. Uh, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. This is the very end of your scripture to, on the handout Bibles, page uh, 1229. It says this. Starting in verse 11, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Friends, you cannot beat up Jesus. You know, when, when Jesus came, he came, as a, he came as a man, and it was a humble incarnation, and, and he was here, and yes, he taught a lot about love, and he taught us the best way to live and that kind of thing, but when Jesus comes again, it's a whole different story. It's a whole different story. There is a judgment that will come. The Bible's clear on it. There's no way around it. Are you ready to stand before your maker? Are you ready? The fourth thing that I would say, and we could spend, we could spend a whole year talking on this subject, but the creed says, says it simply, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Believe in the Holy Spirit. And the comment that I would make about this is that the Holy Spirit is our promise and our power. Do you remember back in Acts 1.8, that we read at the, at the very beginning, it says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to carry out this, 
this mission to, to make my name great in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power. Our power to carry out the mission of Jesus comes from His Holy Spirit, the very presence of Christ indwelling in us through His Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8, this will be the last passage that we turn to. Romans chapter 8 says it this way, starting in verse 9. It says, You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. You see, that's a distinguishing factor between a a, a Christian and a non-Christian is whether or not the Holy Spirit is a part of their lives. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of of Christ, it says, in verse 9, he does not belong to God. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. Verse 15. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. And what that tells me, that tells me that... The, the seal, the mark, as Ephesians would say, that you were marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, that the mark of a believer is the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit is in our lives, we are children of God. And if we're children, then we're also heirs. Heirs to what? Heirs to a kingdom. Heirs to eternity with Jesus in glory. That is good news. And the fifth thing that I would say is this, that there's work to be done. All this that I have said is true, and if it is true, then friends, there's work to be done. That passage that we began with in Acts 1-8, Jesus said, you know, he's leaving, and we are in this, this time between between when He ascended and His second coming, what's Jesus doing? He's on His throne. He's being patient. What should we be doing? We should, with eagerness, desire to make this message known. We should, with eagerness, understanding that we have less time today than we had yesterday, we should, with eagerness, desire that all men would hear the gospel and believe it for themselves. Is that you? Where are you at with that today? Do you need to step up your game? Do you need to to tell someone about this good news of Jesus? We have less time tomorrow than we have today, if tomorrow comes. There's work to be done. And maybe there's, there's someone here that would say, you know what, I, I'm not ready to stand before my Maker today. 
I'm not ready to stand before my Maker. I realize that I'm going to, and I know that I'm, that I'm sinful, and I know, I know that I'm not ready to do that. You've got business to do with God today. The, the worship team is going to come up. We're going to close this service. But as we do, if that's you today, why wouldn't today be the day of your salvation? Why wouldn't today be the day you could, you could seal the deal and say, you know what, I believe in Jesus, that He died on the cross, that He rose again, that He ascended to heaven, and that when I stand before my Maker, it's not going to be because of the good person that I am, but because I am trusting in the work that Jesus did for me. If that's you today, I was about eight years old when I made that decision for myself, and I imagine there may be someone who's eight years old in here today, and you, you heard this, and you say, you know, I don't know why I wouldn't do that today. Maybe you want to do that. Or maybe you aren't eight years old. Maybe you're 68 years old. I don't know. And you would say, you know, I need to, I need to trust Christ as my Savior. I'm going to pray. And if you'd like to pray along with me, you need to understand that these aren't magical words. It's not some special prayer. The Lord looks at your heart. And if this is true of you, the Lord wants you to be saved today. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you were you are and you will always be seated on your throne. Thank you for Thank you for the fact that you loved us so much that you would die on the cross for our sins. For my sins, for the bad things that I have done. I know that there's no way that I could pay for those things on my own and I trust that when you rose from the dead, you paid the penalty for my sin and the sin of the whole world. Today I put my trust in you and I want you to be the leader, the Lord, the Savior of my life. And if that's you, if you just prayed that, if that's true of you today, you might just take a moment to thank God in your own way, in your, your own mind. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you, Jesus, that I am a child of the Most High God, that heaven is my reward. And Jesus, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that we find in it, how it instructs us and it guides us. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the, the faithfulness of men and women who have gone before us. Uh, I think even over the... the, the Decades, the centuries, the, the you know thousands of years that men and women have have believed the words of this the the apostles' creed, and they've said we believe we believe in God the Father, Jesus Christ, His only Son. Thank you for that, Lord. I pray that you would you would continue to help us as we look forward to this upcoming Easter. Help us to be drawn into this Easter season and help us to be bold with our invitations to those who are yet far from God. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I love that. Jesus' work is done, but ours is not. Part of that work is, is believing continuing to believe, to have that foundation that we need. Let's stand and the ushers are going to take our morning offering as we worship in giving our tithes and our offerings and as we sing this last song.
this I believe. Our Father everlasting, the all creating one. Judge and our defender, suffered and through. 